Welcome to the MTB Tribe Podcast, your trail map for the world of mountain biking. And now, I'll introducing your host, Gareth Beckett. Howdy, mountain bikers. Thanks for being here, and welcome to episode 151 of the MTB Tribe Podcast. I am here as always to help you find out more about mountain biking, how to go on the trails, keep you stoked and hopefully learn a little more about mountain biking and the people involved. So thanks so much for tuning in this week and being here with us on the podcast. Now, if you're enjoying the podcast and want to show your support, the best way to do that is by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you listen to your podcasts on. Your ratings and reviews help the podcast get seen easier and hopefully it will help get people off the sofas and onto the saddle. So thanks so much for everybody that's been doing that over the last number of weeks. I really do appreciate it and it will help the show grow and be seen by more people. Now on to today's episode and we are chatting with Davey Burks from his very cool Hook It podcast. Davey has been podcasting for around four years and has a wealth of information regarding the mountain bike industry as he has been running his own mountain bike distribution company since 2014 called HKT Products. I've been a keen listener of Davey's podcast for a number of years so it was great to get him on the show and have a chat about the state of the UK, mountain bike industry, e-bikes, brand development and a ton of other interesting topics. Davey also chats to us about why he stopped mountain biking for a number of years and uh, was really a little bit disillusioned with the whole scene even though he was working in the industry. It's not easy for him to chat about these kind of things, but um, he was very, very kind to share the story with us on the podcast, and I think it's maybe the first time he shared it, so that was pretty cool to hear that, and I'm glad he's come out the other side, and he's doing really great, and his business is doing awesome. Now, Davey has also been kind enough to offer all MTB Tribe podcast listeners 20% off everything on his website. You will find him at HKT products.co.uk so tune into the show visit the show notes or the resource page for more information on that and how to claim your discount also stick around to the end of the episode to hear about a toilet problem Davey had when he was interviewing a very important guest for his own podcast it's a bit of a blast we stuck it in at the end and uh, it's a laugh You'll, you'll get a good laugh out of it so without further ado, let's get Davey on the podcast and hear what he's been up to over the last number of months. Hi Davey, welcome to MTB Tribe Podcast. Thanks for coming on. You're you're a fellow podcaster, so cheers for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Mate, my absolute pleasure. Like I said, it's a beautiful summer's day in Sheffield. Sat here putting off uh, doing garden work for the next hour or so. <laughs> so it's an absolute <laughs> pleasure, mate, to join you. Thank you. Like you said, uh it's cool, you know, as podcasters, we get together and have a chat. So, uh, yeah, stoked. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, I, I'm glad I can be a, a good excuse for you not to be out laying lawn, you know. <laughs> oh, man. It's the best uh, excuse ever, isn't it, to do podcasts? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, that's it, dude. That's it. You should be uh, you should be out on your bike if it's a nice day, huh? I know. I, I'm Honestly, mate, I'm joking when I say it's a nice day. It's disgusting outside. It's raining. It's windy. But... Often it's as good as we get here in the north of England. So you have to just put a positive spin on it and just always say it's a nice day. I mean, it's a nice day and it, you know, we're alive. It's it's pretty good. So (laughs) exactly, exactly. Whereabouts are you in North England then? 
So I'm in Sheffield. Well, I'm just outside Sheffield, actually. Uh, yeah. Most people listening will probably know Sheffield as like Steve Peat country. Mm. Um, so he's like the opposite side of Sheffield to me. So I live um, just outside a place called the Peak District. So uh, again, iconic mountain bike area. Um, and I'm yeah, I'm just outside the Peak District. So I'm super lucky with where I am. Um, it's nice to be based here, you know, especially with the business too. It's like a pretty thriving mountain bike scene in Sheffield. Mm. So it's a nice place to have a company that is bike orientated. And it's nice that you can just escape and be in some of the best riding in, in Europe, you know, just on my doorstep. So super lucky to be based here. And uh, yeah, I just won the, what is it, sort of the, the lottery when it comes to where you're born, I think. <laughs> I think everyone thinks that, mate, if they're from Sheffield. Everyone says the same thing. They're just so lucky to be born in Sheffield, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you think being there in Sheffield, growing up there and being involved in that scene do you think is that what got you interested in mountain biking or how did you get started in that kind of thing uh good question um i think definitely yeah with the mountain bike side of things later in life i think it did help being based here i mean my my actual background is in motorsports so motocross mainly uh my whole family's sort of involved in that uh, i had an uncle who used to race speedway when I was growing up. I had an uncle who used to race motocross. Uh, my dad was into sort of cars, rally driving, right. all that sort of stuff. Um, so Expensive hobbies. Yeah, super. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not a rich family either, mate. There's some shonky builds going on around. <laughs> um, so I've always like been around it. You know how people often say, you know, they're just born into it. I think I am one of those guys. I'm sort of like a, you know, it's all I've ever really known is two wheel sport. Um, so I can't really ever say there's a time when I got into it. I think my dad always jokes about the first time I ever went to a speedway meeting. Uh, I think I was two weeks old. He took me to my first wow. speedway meeting. So, yeah, it's one of those sort of families, mate, that's, you know, really, really heavily into motorsports. And then, um, yeah, sort of grew up around that, you know, constantly at Speedway and motocross events at the weekend. And then uh, before I could really ride motocross, you know, me and my dad used to go on a Sunday afternoon and go watch local races and stuff like that. Um, but then it's kind of weird because I remember growing up, you know, my family, my dad especially, like, couldn't really afford to do it you know motocross especially is such an expensive hobby and mm -hmm. you know I'm not from a, a rich family or anything like that you know the reason that you know my uncle rode speedway was making money you know I think speedway is well that's what it is it's not a hobby it's not fun you get on one of those death trap machines and <laughs> you make money you know that's pretty much the top and bottom of it um don't get me wrong like you know my other uncle motocross was probably a hobby for him but um but yeah i remember growing up it was it was too expensive and i and i really was quite a strange kid i was super obsessed with things uh some might say now probably ocd but i was so obsessed with motocross and and bikes in general it's all i ever talked about until my dad finally gave in and bought me a proper motocross bike and mm -hmm. then from then dude it's been like you know every weekend of my life pretty much you know involved in something two-wheel orientated um so yeah, that's sort of, like I said, it's hard to really say when I got into things. I think the bike side of it, again, it's just always been there. You know, when you're growing up and you can't afford to ride a motocross bike, the next best thing is your push bike. 
so mm-hmm. I'd go ride in the local we had a BMX track actually just down the road from where uh, my dad lived uh parents split up when I was younger stayed really amicable um they lived like the opposite side of our village so I used to just ride in between them so yeah at my dad's place there was a, a BMX track it's called Drumfield BMX track and kind of iconic around this area man because we all just had this cool little crew there and you know we'd build jumps and every day i mean rain or shine you know it's every weekend we're there building jumps um you know at that time which is kind of cool you know there's no social media there's no phones we just you just go there and hang out and just wait Mm -hmm. for your friends to rock up Uh, so that's sort of like my earliest memories really of getting into sort of two wheeled things I guess was that well one side of it would be the growing up around it but then the other side of it was actually doing it which was mainly riding bike like mountain bikes because I couldn't mm-hmm. afford a motocross bike um, and then obviously that that progressed as time went on especially with the motocross side of things you know got pretty competitive at that um, my dad got more and more in debt as I got older, I think that's pretty much how it went. As as I got older and age, got further and further in debt, <laughs> buying bikes and camper vans and paying for races and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, that's sort of how I got into the whole scene, really, man. Um, and then, like I say, it sort of progressed from there from, with all of it, really. Um, the motorsport side and, and the mountain bike side. It's always, it's always been a huge part of my life, dude. It's, it's one of those things, and I, I don't know if you're the same, but it's never not been there so it's really difficult to sort of pinpoint when this sort of thing started if that makes sense yeah yeah it's interesting because and you've probably found the same David with your own podcast that you know a lot of people I've had on they do come from a trials background or a motocross background and as they tend to grow up and get a bit older they tend to gravitate into the mountain bike thing and I don't know if it's a monetary thing or or whatever or you mm. know their their parents are getting older so maybe they're not you know involved in the whole motocross thing as much or whatever but a lot of people seem to end up in mount, the mountain bike scene you know they, they tend to end up there because it is cheaper and maybe a bit more fun and yeah you know you can just throw a bike below your legs and go you know what i mean there's there's not all the other hassle you have with motocross and the expense of tires and engines and everything else um it's it's yeah. really really interesting i think a lot of it too is it's still a relatively new sport so like you said there's a lot of people that come over from trials but i mean trials has been around i think noah rode a trials bike off the arc at one point i mean <laughs> trials has been around for so long and the same with with motocross i mean motocross was started in the like 30s or mm. something like that you know so these sports have been around for so so long but i think mountain biking especially if you look at you know someone like uh, I mean, pretty much all the pros right now, really, but they've sort of like still in it at quite an early age sort of yeah. for the sport. Do you know what I mean? It's still sort of growing quite quickly. Uh, you know, let's say Petey, for example, you know, he started out on those, you know, rigid bikes. You know, he was mm-hmm. like the forefront of that and he's still relevant now. So that sort of gives you, I think, a timescale of like how new this whole or this it is to people. And I think... I mean, I might be wrong with this, but like the talent pool with other sports is so much deeper because they've been around for so much longer that I think it's easier often to maybe jump across the mountain biking and just be quite competitive straight away. Mm-hmm. I think that seems to be the case with with motocross. It seems to be that, you know, you can be relatively 
good on a motocross bike hop on a mountain like a downhill bike in particular and a lot of those skills are quite transferable they seem to transfer one way quite well but not so much the other way yeah i don't know why i don't know if it's because it's a lot more going on with a motocross bike you know with gears and you know again set up and all that sort of stuff i'm not too sure i don't really want to call anyone out and say that they're not talented that's not what i'm trying to say at all but mm-hmm. it seems that if you've got that base level of talent on a motocross bike or a trials bike, you can hop on a downhill bike and you, you can transfer it super fast. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, look at Gwyn. I mean, everyone always says that, you know, Gwyn's from this, you know, massive motocross background. He was good, but he wasn't like a national rider or anything like that. And then look at what he can do on a downhill bike. You yeah. could say again, oh, that's just natural talent, I guess, but it just seems that it's so transferable um you know it's rare that you see someone ride a downhill bike who's a motocross guy and they can't do it do you know what i mean they're mm-hmm. always going to be relatively competent pretty quickly i think yeah and again i hope that doesn't sound like i'm certain i'm throwing anybody under the bus because i'm really not that's just what i've personally seen uh, and also from my own experience of knowing that i got into mountain biking um especially like i'd say competitively quite late and it always felt like i just had skills that were just transferable just from growing up riding motorcycles mm-hmm. you know it was like it seemed to come relatively naturally to go quite fast without trying that hard wow yeah. I sound i'm sorry <laughs> yeah no no like do you it think a transferable thing yeah and, and why do you think that is do you think is it just you're used to the feel of the bike below you of the two wheels or are you used to the speed or I think especially with moto you, you're sort of used to being out of control you know you're used to those higher speeds i mean it's very rare that you do a motocross race and at the end of it you everything's gone smoothly there's going to be one like near-death experience or <laughs> <laughs> do you know what i mean there's going to be one point where you accidentally hit the gas instead of hitting a brake or uh, do you know uh, I mean? there's always going to be something and i i just think you become almost numb to it like that is just what it is that is part of the journey and then with downhill I mean, a lot of that, you're just a passenger, right? It's like if you've got the mm. balls to hold a downhill bike wide open, basically don't touch the brakes. As long as you have like a base level of talent and balance, you're going to make it out pretty good. And you're going to be going pretty fast, which means you're going to have a pretty good time at the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose, you know, like I know one of the local guys here, Nathan McComb. Um, right. And he's he's got a business now in Malaga mtb malaga and um he came from a trials background but he's your kind of danny mccaskill rider you know okay. he can do he can do and he's still young he's still in his early 20s like but he he transferred from the trials bike to the mountain bike so quickly and he transferred all those trials skills he had to the mountain bike as well mm-hmm. and to see the guy ride is just unreal he's just so smooth so fast just total control but you know the bike almost looks like he's out of control but he never looks like he's out of control <laughs> yeah but again i think that's it that is like one of the transferable skills isn't it it's 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 having the the experience of letting a bike do the work underneath you that is exactly right like I, again i've got exactly the same dude like i've got a few friends that are good at trials riding motorcycle trials and they're just natural on a mountain bike they don't really try that hard i mean one of my friends um he, he finished like 
fifth or something at hard rock with like barely any training he just jumped on and was like oh yeah i'll give it a go like one weekend just go up and do this event and he's a national level trials rider too like really 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 good trials rider but um again i think it's that whole especially with trials having to be so like pinpoint accurate and if you can transfer that skill to a mountain bike at speed of just you know hitting that rut or just hopping over that rock just to gain a few extra you know points of seconds Mm. it's such a transferable skill but flip it the other way around which is really interesting you take someone who's really good on a mountain bike who's never ridden a trials bike they're not going to go and enter a trial easily Mm. it's so Mm. strange that it goes the it does it it seems to go one way but not the other yeah do you think is it a weird thing between the bikes between the bikes do you think does the weight make a difference or is it a throttle thing may i mean maybe i mean if you if you can control a 250 pound dirt bike at speed you'd like to think you can control a a good quality lightweight downhill bike at speed yeah Yeah. unless i mean again i've not done that switch for a while it's been a while since i've caught my leg over a motocross bike too to be fair um I, I can guarantee you that it definitely doesn't work that way now. <laughs> I'd be awful. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's a strange one, man. When you really think about that transferable skill, it is so strange. And how many people have made the switch over from, from being a, a decent motocross or a trials rider. And now they're, you know, a really good mountain mm. bike, almost professional in some cases. Yeah. And I, I think cases, the thing is, world champion, you know? yeah, totally, man. And I think the thing is that the transferable skill is very quick because there's another young fella here called Chris Brown and he was a trials rider for a number of years, you know, done it nationally, all this, decided, I can't remember, I've had him on the podcast, but I can't even remember why he started mountain biking. Hmm. But anyway, he bought a mountain bike, secondhand mountain bike, decided to race that year. And he was on the podium, if not fourth or fifth, every race. And that was the first year he had ever, you know, it, obviously came up with bikes and had been riding bikes as a kid and stuff but it's the first time he had a proper full suspension mountain bike and kind of had any kind of enduro experience you know yeah, what i mean yeah um so it just shows you how quick that kind of transfers across yeah there's a there's a, a female ews rider too called becky cook who similar thing she was a really good national level trials rider and one weekend i think she just got a mountain bike and won a race and it's like <laughs> how how did that is i mean maybe it's that you grow up riding bikes as a kid you grow up riding push bikes but you don't grow up you know riding a a motorcycle around your neighborhood do you it's not as natural to you so i wonder if there's a little bit of that too where you've got this base level of understanding of how something works and how to make it go fast and then you transfer all the skills that you've learned doing trials or motocross you put those on top of that and you have an absolute recipe for, you know, winning mm. basically and going fast on something. Yeah. It's super interesting. I, I'd like. I think I need to give this more thought actually and try and figure out why. Um, maybe speak to Gwyn and people like that and be like, right, okay, what was it that made the transfer over so seamless and yeah. so, you know, to go from being a relatively good motocross rider to being a world champion downhill, downhill, you know, champion yeah. is epic i mean that is so so cool (laughs) like yeah yeah it is interesting i think you know if you looked into it more if somebody done some kind of research into that it would be interesting to see 
how many people come from that kind of background and are yeah. then really good at the mountain bike thing. Yeah, you and know, I think because... a lot of people do make that switch though because, like you said, uh, it is cheaper. If you mm-hmm. want to compete motocross, for example, in the UK at British level, I mean, to start off, you need at least two bikes. That's just a start. So then you've got 20,000 quid. That's just if you bought a stock bike, which you're not going to ride a stock bike ever. Oh. So, you know, let's say you spend another five to six on parts and tires and wheels and handlebars you know you you're close to 30 grand already and you've not even swung a leg over a bike yet and then you put on top the kit you know helmets 400 i know mountain bike helmets pretty similar these days too but and then i think a lot of the time the biggest one is like transport you know motocross tracks are, are spread out all over the uk but mountain biking you can in often cases you can just ride from your house and you'll find something good to ride um so with that you, you know you need a van so let's say you're going to get a half decent van so you can spend 10 grand you're at fifty thousand already when you've not even started mm. so i think a lot a lot of it is that that i think especially some of the younger kids coming through they get to a point with motocross probably at the point that i got to actually where your parents go look enough's enough now you know what i mean like we're we're considering remortgaging our house (laughs) you're pretty shit you know it's probably about time we got this on the head but we don't really want to tell you so that's basically what happened with me is i got to a point and it's like look this is just getting ridiculous you know we're we're out all the time my dad's stressed out We've, we've got bikes out everywhere you know hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of equipment in some cases that and then a kid will just go, you know, well, I can go to the local bike shop if I spend, f- let, I mean, you can spend anything really, let's be honest. But mm-hmm. if you spend, what, let's say 3,000 quid on a mountain bike, you've got a good level spec bike. Mm-hmm. And that is almost all you need. A pair of shoes and a helmet, you can enter an enduro. Mm-hmm. Isn't it? And when you look at it like that, I think that's probably a lot of why we're seeing all this talent come over to mountain biking um, is unfortunately financial pressure as well. Um, and then knowing that with it being an emerging industry, you're going to get sponsors maybe a little bit easier, um, that sort of thing too. Uh, it, yeah, it, it's televised well, you know, mm-hmm. good luck trying to find a motocross event on TV. It's, it, it doesn't happen. Yeah. Or trials, I think even, right? Like it used to be on Eurosport, but yeah, <laughs> it's not on there anymore, I don't think. So <laughs> I don't know. I think that that's probably more to do with it as well, is that kids are just making that switch over uh, due to financial pressure. Yeah. Do you think the, the industry, because you're involved, you have your own kind of distribution company and stuff there, yeah. and you've been doing that for a number of years. Yeah. Um, so, so you're well tapped into the brands and the stores and things like that. Do you think the brands or the industry as a whole looks at those motocross guys? Do you think they, they push kind of the idea of crossing over to those guys just to get new talent under the sport good question mate to be honest i don't know i think i know certain shops who i've got a good relationship with that are probably a bit more in touch with that stuff um i think there's going to be old school bike shops who just have no idea what the kids are doing you know they just want to sell gear cables and brake pads or whatever Mm -hmm. but i think the ones that are a bit more switched on maybe they've got a foot in the downhill market and a you know foot in the sort of enduro market and stuff like that they probably are seeing an emergence of young kids coming in um and when i know when i say young i'd say like you know 
sort of learnt to drive sort of age, you know, 17, 18, that are wanting to get into mountain biking a little bit more, that have maybe grown up doing those sort of sports like motocross and trials, I think, mm-hmm. um, or even road racing in some cases. You know, there's a lot of kids that do that, I guess, uh, which is even more expensive than motocross. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if, if the appeal, I don't know. It's tough that I think it's hard for kids, you know, if they're into sort of moto and stuff to not find downhill and enduro quite appealing because mm. it ticks all the boxes, doesn't it? You know, you're out in nature, you're going fast on a bike, you know, you can go with your friends. It ticks all the boxes. So, and all, and it's good cross training too. If you, if, and, and I know we're talking a lot about motocross here and people are going to roast me for this dude forever, <laughs> like big time. But if you are doing that, you need to train. So mountain biking is already a good training tool. So chances are you've got one already. So mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know if they're, if they're probably sort of meaning to reach out to these kids, but I think the industry is probably finding them anyway, especially with, you know, a lot of, a lot of top flight moto guys do always, you know, use social media to post about going on mountain bike rides and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. So I think we're almost quite close without trying to be because we're so yeah. similar. The brands cross over too, don't they? I mean, most clothing brands, for example, cross over either way. So, you know, Fox, mm-hmm. you can buy a moto kit, you can buy a mountain bike kit, you know, Troy Lee, same thing. Um, so I think that's probably most of it too so when when they're seeing again social media marketing and stuff like that there's probably is a lot of cross-referencing that again if you if you're probably that sort of kid you're going to be seeing it more often i think it's hard if you work in the industry because you become numb to it anyway you're just like oh yeah that's just a mountain bike advert or a motocross advert but maybe if you are a little bit younger and susceptible to that stuff you might notice it more Mm -hmm. that makes sense maybe i don't know whether people are yeah i don't know to go back to your question whether whether the shops are sort of meaning to appeal to these younger coming up sort of guys, I don't know. That'd be, t- that'd be tough to say. Mm, uh, yeah. I know from my perspective, I haven't at all like tried to reach these people. Um, yeah. Maybe you should. I don't know. Maybe I'm missing a trick. <laughs> Getting yeah. some fast guys to ride our stuff. I don't know. <laughs> well, that's it. It's fast and it's, <laughs> you know, it's, you almost don't have to train these guys. These guys are almost ready to go. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, mm. But it, it's interesting. Like the the industry is very interesting at the minute. I think I had um, I had Jeff Baker from Single Tracks. You know the SingleTracks dot com. Yeah. Um, he's got his own podcast and stuff. I had him on the show a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, and we were chatting mainly about the the mountain bike industry and and how things are going. Like from your perspective, what you're seeing around England and the UK and, and stuff like that, how healthy do you think the industry is here at the minute? I think at the minute, if we timestamp this as, you know, just coming out of a lockdown, the industry's probably never been so buoyant, in my opinion. Um, But that is going to come with quite a lot of problems, I think. You know, the majority of bike shops I'm speaking to have got no bikes left in the shop. They've sold everything. If not everything, there's not a lot left. And then the problem is now is that there's production issues, you know, because factories have been closed through lockdown in different parts of the world. We've got shipping problems because all the couriers are behind. Um, So I'd say right now, I mean, there's been so many new mountain bikers or let's just say cyclists in general to appeal Mm -hmm. to them. 
so many new people through the pandemic have found cycling as a way to keep fit and to get outdoors, um, which I think is awesome. But it's going to have its knock on effect, isn't it? it has to you know in something mm. booms like this there has to be some some sort of knock-on effect i think we'll see it in i mean we've already seen it with uh damage to trails i mean that's been a huge one already you know mountain biking's blown up there's more people in the woods people are starting to notice people riding stuff they probably shouldn't and we see some trail damage um so there's that i don't know man i, I think the industry seems really buoyant but um, I'm sort of mindful that it's come out of desperation from people just trying to keep fit and looking for a cheap and effective way of doing it, mm-hmm. not necessarily finding it for the right reasons. Yeah, so they won't stick at it kind of thing. Yeah, I think there'll be a big, big used bike market in about six months. Yeah, you can see that, right? Yeah. So if you have a second-hand bike, get it on now and get it sold. <laughs> Dude, so many of my friends just sold the bikes because you couldn't buy bikes here. I yeah. mean, every bike shop almost was like, yep, sold out, sold out. So a lot of my friends were just like, well, might as well sell my bike, you know what I mean? Or at least the other bike that you don't ride as often. Uh-huh. And yeah, a friend of mine sold his e-bike for more than what he paid for it on eBay. Wow. Yeah, I mean, dude, I mean, God that's how desperate people have been right to buy a bike yeah. to stay fit i mean we've had a beautiful few months here in the uk i don't know what it's been where you are but you know a really beautiful few months people have furloughed i mean it's the perfect sort of melting pot of boosting the industry mm-hmm. but again like i say it's going to come with its negatives i think and we're already seeing it already you know bike shops having to do really in-depth forecasting for brands so what that means is that they're uh, for people listening who might not understand what then what that means is that they're having to like pre-book bikes which you wouldn't normally have to do so you, you'd sort of rely on a distributor to have a bunch of stock and you can pick from that stock as and when you need it so if someone walks into your shop tomorrow and says i want a medium whatever bronson yep cool i can get you one of those it can be here in three days no problem at all mm-hmm. but because there's such manufacturing sort of delays and stuff the bike shops are having to pre-book what they think they're going to sell, yeah. which obviously comes with it cash flow problems. Let's say you pre-book 10 bikes. I mean, that's a lot of money, eh? What if you don't sell them? Yeah. You've got to pay for them anyway. So, and then there's no stock to sell what you should be selling, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I think there is going to be some, some super negatives, unfortunately. I think it feels like right now that bike shops have had the, they've had the opportunity to sort of make hay while the sun shines but the next six months are going to be potentially quite turbulent i think Uh, as stock issues start to come up as you know we come into winter i mean things die off anyway coming into winter um Mm. so yeah obviously the diehards are still going to be there but this influx of new money whether it's going to continue or not it's going to be quite interesting to see to be honest yeah so yeah, you would think um, from the bikes, bike shop point of view, you really have to be keyed into your customer base, don't you, and what what they're really wanting. But it's so difficult because, like you say, there's new customers, there's new money that you haven't really experienced before. So mm. do you restock for people like that? How do exactly. you actually manage that? It's crystal ball stuff. Like It's super interesting too. Like Having been in the bike industry for quite a long time now, like I'm by no means a veteran. I'm only relatively young still but 
but sort of being in the industry long enough to almost watch certain stores evolve too. What I like, what I enjoy ha- watching happen is this initial sort of, you know, you get contact from someone who's opening this bike shop. Cool. Yeah, no problem. And now normally what I do with my role with my company is I'd go out and visit them, you know, chat and see what they want to do, which we sell. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, you hear all this. Oh, yeah, we're going to do uh, let's I don't know. We're going to do Santa Cruz. We're going to do uh, Trek. We're going to do all these amazing brands and they want all the nicest, best stuff in there. They want the top flight. They want, you know, 10 grand bikes everywhere. Mm-hmm. And then it, you almost watch it over the years as they figure out this isn't my market at all. My market is selling 200 quid bikes to yeah <laughs> to old blokes or e-bikes to pensioners. And you can watch it change as they're almost reluctantly trying to hang on to the what they think is the cool side of the industry. Yeah, but exactly. But bread and butter actual business is you know, brake pads, bike repairs, and e-bikes to pensioners. I mean, it's, it's really interesting to watch that happen a few times now over the few years that I've been doing this. Yeah. Um, and almost, you know, as well, we've done it with, with our company, just totally changed what we do. You know, we've been there and done that, trying to get the latest, greatest core brands, but it unfortunately doesn't work for most companies. And yeah. it hasn't worked for us in the past, so yeah. yeah. No, it's very cool. Like I, um, I'm just back from. I lived in Malta there for two years, and I'm just back. I worked in a bike store there, and you know we were selling high end bikes, like for sure. But right. the majority, the the majority of your business is maintenance stuff, and that was growing and growing. And yeah, the majority of the bikes you're working on, you you wouldn't want to work on. You know, it's not. <laughs> it, when you see stuff like this on social media. And, you know, you see all these top-end bikes been worked on and the whole mechanical side of things looks so cool and nice, clean workshops and everything else. Yeah. But the but the reality of the thing is you're working on 15, 20-year-old bikes that you would probably just want to scrap or recycle rather than work on. <laughs> and people don't want to spend money yeah. on repairing these things, you know? Totally, totally, mate. But that is the bread and butter, isn't it? That That's is what it. Most, that is what 99% of bike shops are. There's the yeah. 1%, like you say, that are like Formula One garages, like hospitals inside that are working <laughs> on, you know, the latest, greatest bikes. But there aren't many of those around. You know, I could probably name 10 in the UK that are like that, that have that customer day uh-huh. in and day out. But 99% of them are doing shit jobs. Like they're fixing BMXs for kids. They're doing stuff like yeah. that. <laughs> you know, unfortunately, yeah. that's what it is. Um, exactly. Exactly. Yeah that's it man that's it what do you what do you think about the e-bike thing you chatted about it there a wee bit Mm. what do i think about e-bikes great question (laughs) uh i think mm, okay i've not spent personally too much time riding e-bikes so i will i will say that um i think they're an amazing tool to get people into mountain biking an absolutely amazing tool to get people out you know whether someone has got you know, some form of, I wouldn't say maybe disability or they're not very fit or, you know, whatever. You fill in the blank, old people, whatever. Mm-hmm. E-bikes have got an amazing, amazing um, segment of our industry, which is opening up cycling to more people. I can't say I'm a massive fan of diehardy sort of mountain bikers getting e-bikes. I'd, I'd be very reluctant to say that I'm a big fan of them. 
Now, I do have friends that ride e-bikes a lot. Uh, one of them is a really famous mountain biker who rides them a lot. And I love that it can open up. You know, Danny and Mac was talking when we did a podcast together about how he does these multiple e-bike uh, e-bike battery rides and i just thought that is so cool it's something i've never really thought about you know going on a massive adventure with three batteries you know mm-hmm. two in your bag one on your bike what an amazing cool thing to do but how many people actually have the opportunity to do that who live in the highlands in scotland not mm-hmm. that many right i think the majority of people are blasting around trail centers and uh, yeah de-restricting them and giving mountain biking in some ways maybe a bad name in some in some respects but that's just my own personal opinion dude i think they're only going to get better i think there will be a point in time where mountain bikes just have batteries unfortunately it'll just be a case of you know do you want it on or off it's as simple as that it's light Mm. you can't even tell you have a battery you know battery technology is going to get to that point as you know at some point where you just have it on or off you want to help climbing up there just click a button and it'll take you up the hill mm-hmm. um, i think just i don't know maybe, maybe it's just my riding style or just my or just my opinion obviously but i'm just not a huge fan of this whole e-bike movement and people getting them and scrapping off the normal bike just because yeah. it's a bit easier <laughs> yeah know? yeah i know what you mean yeah put the graft in just ride up the hills it's <laughs> It's, it's as simple as that you know if you want to go on a 60 mile ride then get fit enough to go on a 60 mile ride it's as simple as that that's my again personal opinion i know some people are going to probably hate that and get some blowback but that's uh that's my personal take on them um yeah. what, i don't know what about you where are you at with it well you know i think it has its positives for like you were saying maybe people that have been out of the scene for quite a while they have friends that ride and have been riding mountain bikes for a number of years and they're obviously not at that fitness level or that skill level so an e-bike is initially a good thing for them to have and to keep up and not be struggling and have more fun with it rather than thinking oh i got to go out mountain biking with these boys today and it being a real chore totally you know at at least at least they can have a bit of fun um and not feel like they're they're going to to die from heart attack or something um i also think it's quite good for people getting in with injuries um because i know i know a couple of the guys the local guys in malta that have had one's a back injury and one's a knee injury Mm. and they got e-bikes just sheerly from the point of view of i can still keep riding a bike and it'll take less stress off my injury and i can kind of exercise and still ride while i've while i'm injured and you know stay with the crew so that's quite good and then obviously we're seeing older people getting into it and the e-bike thing helps um so Mm. I, i think it's quite cool that way the other thing i've noticed is guys here that maybe would like to do something different something a bit off the beaten track that they would maybe have to spend a couple of days at let's say you mm. know so they would have to spend their whole weekend they'd have to take a tent they'd have to camp out stuff like that they're getting e-bikes and they're doing this stuff in a good full day you know 16 18 hours or something and having a really good good ride um so that's quite cool but as far as replacing your normal mountain bike i think <laughs> until physically you need to do that i i can't see it it doesn't appeal to me to be honest i think we're on the same 
same page then aren't we you know that they do have the place that if you do have the ability to do those long rides then yes take an e-bike enjoy it more you know make that two hour two day trip one mm-hmm. day if you can um but then the flip side of that is is it better to go on the two-day trip and camp out and take you know eat yeah. some food do some wild camping that, exactly if you have you know, the time why, why are you yeah. rushing yeah why are you rushing to get this ride done it's one of those isn't it i think yeah it's a super interesting topic and i think it's very it's very polarizing to e-bikes because some people have you know probably become converts to it they've gone you know why would i ride my my normal bike i have to do all this work i can just jump on my e-bike and then some people have gone you know the opposite way of like nah i'm not going anywhere near it um you know the last guest i had on my podcast for example was joe barnes and he rides for orange you know they have an e-bike and i don't Mm -hmm. think he's ever even ridden one he's just like nah, it's not really my thing um and i think that's where i'm at with it as well having spent a little bit of time riding them um and i think a lot of it is like you were saying a lot of it's you know who you ride with there's nothing worse than going out on a bike ride and one guy's on an e-bike. Yeah. Not only does it make you feel very inadequate and very unfit, but you know, they're constantly waiting for you at the top of the climb. It's just, it's just crap. I mean, if you're all on them, great. If you're not just let, let's just go on a normal bike ride, shall we? <laughs> let's do it. Yeah. Let's yeah. Just put out the bullshit. Um, yeah. So you yeah. See, a big thing I've seen people saying is, you know, if I go out on my normal bike, let's say they're doing some form of loop or something of their local their local trails you know they're saying well you know i can do two loops of that whereas if i'm on an e-bike i can do four or five loops of that yeah and get more riding time you know spend less energy let's say in the uphills and enjoy the downhills a bit more um that's a big and i can understand that i can see that dude yeah again same i can totally see that appeal totally Mm. totally see it but for me personally, I'd rather do the two loops. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As sad as that might sound, like I'd, I'd prefer to do the two loops than do the five loops. Assisted. Don't know why. It's just maybe it's just me being very strange. But you're too young and you're too fit. That's the problem. Well, I'm, that's the problem. I'm, I'm really not. I'm not young and I'm not fit. <laughs> I'm just stubborn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, what about? Uh, what about the gravel thing have you get into that yeah i've not i've not gone down that route at all dude to be honest not one little bit yet uh again i can see i can see the appeal of that especially where we are in sheffield because there's so many good bridle tracks and gravel paths and stuff like that you know um for anyone who doesn't know the geography of sheffield it's basically in a huge valley so pretty much anything you want to do is going to be all and then down the other side um so yeah there's loads of that sort of riding out here the peak district seems to become almost a hot spot for gravel biking so you know you're seeing it more often um but again for me personally i've just not i've not even been on a gravel bike i don't think i was into road riding a little bit uh, a few years ago uh, and i often you know used to go out on the road bike and get pretty bored and just be like oh, i wish i could just nip down this trail or whatever <laughs> uh, so i think i think gravel biking i probably really enjoy that to be honest but it's just something that i've not had the opportunity to give a shot yet uh, again a few of my friends you know i know i keep referring to my friends but i've got a pretty sort of cool group of friends that are always riding and that, you know a lot of them work in the bike industry so a lot of them have have got gravel bikes now so that to me is almost like a sign of right maybe i need to jump on this train a little bit and maybe grab one and go on some of these multi-day adventures because i love an adventure mate you know like mm. i do love 
a long ride and a camp and then a ride home or something so i think the gravel bike scene yeah might might be the one for that to be honest it's a good mix of everything isn't it a little bit of down a little bit of up a little bit of gravel yeah mm-hmm. yeah I it think. looks it looks pretty no i haven't actually been on one to be honest right. um so what's traditional what's your style of riding of interest well i kind of came from a bmx background when i was a kid right. um i came through that whole explosion of bmx back in the day and where i'm from where i grew up a small town called balamone there was a guy there that we went to school with and his father owned a farm and they converted one of the fields to a really good bmx track and there was comps there and national competitions and all that but that that died away very quickly um and then i got into the surf industry and i completely forgot about mountain bikings for a lot of bikes for a long time yeah um but i kind of grew up on a bit of trials bike a bit of motocross i used to work on a farm when i was a kid after school and and uh david and his brother used to motocross so we'd go on the bikes every evening after bringing in the hay or whatever and (laughs) have a blast (laughs) around the fields you know um so i've always been interested in bikes and then I got a pretty bad knee injury and my mate who's who really got me back into mountain biking he's a surfer as well he's shapes he's a surfboard shaper and surfs my boards and stuff he said look go and grab that 20 year old bike out of the shed and let's go for a ride and to be honest man I was out for an hour and I was hooked just totally really? hooked, yeah. just hooked again wow. yeah love it and to be honest mountain bike much much more than a surf now really so yeah okay um okay so that's kind of the the way i i came from it um there was a long period there where i didn't you know i wasn't on a bike of any kind uh bar my bar my harley but other than that um <laughs> nothing really so right and what's your style of riding now then are you like an enduro rider or uh yeah yeah certainly um okay I wouldn't do the big downhill stuff, definitely not. I just haven't had enough time really to to gear my stuff and myself into that. Um, but yeah, more enduro. For me, it's quite a social thing. You know, I, I'll go out with two or three friends, and we'll have a social we'll have a social ride, almost a weekend warrior kind of thing. Cool. Um, okay. But you know, I. I'm always quite competitive and I always try and push myself every time I'm out. You know, it's, yeah. um, you know, and the guys are always like, we're out, it's Sunday, we're chilling out. Come on, we're chilling out. And I'm like, well, no, you know, I want to get slightly better every time I'm on the bike, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's funny. That's so funny. Some, sometimes I struggle with that a bit. But yeah. but it, it is that. And, you know, it's funny because for me, it's, if you ask me why I mountain bike, it's, it's the people that are involved in it, obviously, um, because it's such a good community. But it's the adrenaline thing as well, I think, for me. I, I need that little bit of adrenaline. Mm. Um, you know, and it's funny because I asked quite a lot of my podcast listeners why they mountain biked. And overwhelming response was that they're out in nature. Yeah, okay. You know, which yeah, I, yeah. yeah, which I totally get because that's a big part of it for me as well. But and you know, I would say my number one thing would be it's that adrenaline rush I get from it. It's right. pushing yourself. It's just being on that edge, being slightly out of control, 
and just pushing yourself that wee bit. You know, I just, I need that. Whatever I'm doing, surfing, mm. whatever I'm at, I need to be doing that kind of thing. Um, and where do you get the most sort of, hmm, what's the word? What is the word? Hang on. Sort of like the most, I'm going to say like positive energy from, is it is it riding or is it surfing? Is it land or sea? There we go. That's, Ooh, like that's a good around. question. <laughs> uh surfing's very frustrating okay right? um all right i've surfed for a long 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 time and i would say i would say the one thing that i don't like about surfing is this what they call the search right mm-hmm. so to get a really good surf it's different when you're beginning now because you'll go in and anything and you're stoked to be in and anything but when you get slightly better you almost want to surf better waves. You know what I mean? It's, okay. it's, but to get that, to get those conditions, you need the right wind, you need the right swell direction, you need the right tides, you need the sandbars to be working correctly. And for all those things to com- come together to get that perfect swell, that perfect wave is ver- for me, it's quite frustrating. Okay. You're hanging around, you're waiting about, you're, to me, I'm wasting time if I'm doing that. You know <laughs> I guess it's kind of like if you rode the same mountain bike trail expecting a different result for years. Yeah, yeah. It's it's similar like that. But what I like about mountain biking, and I'm a big snowboarder as well, I love snowboarding, is that realistically, you just get your piece of equipment that you need and you go. Mm. Okay, sometimes it can be raining, sometimes it can be windy, but you just go. You know, you just go and do it. Um, snowboarding obviously you can have bad snow conditions or you can have whiteouts or whatever but you can always find something to do you can always go and make a kicker for yourself near your hotel or you can do mm-hmm. whereas surfing's is quite frustrating because if it's on shore and it's messy I just know I'm not going to have fun in there yeah yeah fair mm-hmm. okay now that makes total sense actually that's understandable I know from my limited surf experience, I mean, I'm one of those guys that owns a surfboard that doesn't really surf, right? I just kind of bought one because it looked cool in the house. Um, <laughs> and I, I, off, I do sometimes go surfing, but it's it's super frustrating because I'm new to it. I don't spend enough time doing it because, you know, the, the closest beach is like two hours away from me. So it's a, it's a real trip. Yeah, you know, if yeah. you're going to go, I got into a really good routine of sort of leaving the surfboard in the van a lot of the time. So if I was out on the road with work, I'd just, if I was local to a, to the ocean, I'd just go and do surfing. Mm. But obviously that comes with its challenges. If you're relatively new to it and not so sort of don't really know what you're doing. I don't think it's a good idea to just go in the water and hope that everything's going to be okay. Cause it doesn't, yeah. sometimes you could end up in a bit of a pickle. Right. So yeah, um, I've never really got any better at it, but yeah, I, I could see like every time you stand up, no matter what that wave is, whether it's going left, right, up, down, you're still stoked because you, you know, you've, ridden a wave and i guess mm. it's the same with mountain biking if you're new to it and you, you know you do a jump oh wow i did a jump but then as you get more and more into it you want a bigger and bigger jump and then that jump's pretty shit there's no point riding that trail because it's boring mm. yeah mm-hmm. it's, it, yeah it's just you just become dumb to it don't you really so yeah. i think it's important to always have those new sort of hobbies and and challenges for yourself too right you always yeah. be challenging yourself to keep it fresh um, yeah i think so yeah like if, if i had to answer your question as briefly as i could i would say mountain biking is it's more user friendly 
yeah yeah you know um you can just do it more often you don't have to you know you can plan a, a day surfing but there's no point in planning that until you see what the swell's doing, what the wind's doing. You know, it's mm. it's it's difficult. Whereas mountain biking, if I think, all right, you know what, I'll go mountain biking this afternoon, I can go. Yeah, the trails aren't moving, are they? They're always yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. What's the furthest furthest you've driven to go surfing or travel? Then there's been no surf. I've surfed all around the world. Have you really? A couple of times. Wow. So yeah, I've been very very fortunate. That's um, my favorite surf spot ever, Samoa. I've surfed it's there. Really? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Amazing, wow. man. Amazing. That's cool. And is this like working in the surf industry as well, then? Um, I was I was at that stage, but that was just a holiday. That was just really? yeah, right. Yeah. I flew to LA, hooked up with a friend I know in LA. Surfed there for a week, and then we flew over to Samoa, and then we came back and surfed the west coast of America for another ten days or so. Wow. Um, but yeah, it was amazing, and. Uh, crazy man that that you know you have to that country's amazing because the chiefs still kind of own the beaches okay so there is police there but to surf the beaches you have to get permission from the chiefs um so you need to pay them to actually go surfing Uh, and these guys are all educated in the u.s so they can all speak perfect english Uh, and it's so funny you see this big samoan dude with skirt on Mm. and he comes up to you and he just speaks fluent English. Like it's, it's, it's awesome. <laughs> and he understands the value of a dollar. <laughs> yes, exactly. He definitely does. Uh, but yeah, that was, that place is beautiful, man. Beautiful. American Samoa. Yeah. Uh, unbelievable. But you know, I haven't really done enough mountain biking to be honest. I haven't really mountain biked outside of Ireland to be honest. Okay. Yeah. So I certainly need to hit that. Up. What about you? Have you traveled in the mountain bike much? little bits to be fair not really i'm similar actually you know i often get invited on holidays and all this sort of stuff uh did a little bit in australia i raced some australian national downhill championships once uh Mm -hmm. lived out in the states for a while so i rode quite a lot over there um i've done like morzine you know trip Mm -hmm. um and then that's pretty much it, like just dotted around the UK, really. A little bit of Scotland, like Fort William and, you know, up, up there, where whatever else is up there. I always forget where I've been and stuff. Uh, my, as we found out before we started recording, my geography is awful. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, just mainly dotted around the UK, man, to be honest. Um, I'm a, again, I think I'm really lucky, and it sounds like you are too, that I've got really good riding around here and a really good scene. So it almost seems silly sometimes to get away from it. You mm. know, w- when every weekend often feels like you're going on holiday with your friends to go riding, it's, uh, it, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like a lot of people, yeah. I guess, are trying to escape that, you know, not having much riding on the doorstep. They want to go to this trail center or bike park or whatever. Whereas I feel like I have it. It's just here. It's, I just have to ride out on my front door and I can pretty much get there. Yeah. And so super lucky with that. And I think that's, um yeah over the sort of like course of my life with even working in the bike industry it's been a massive advantage to sort of yeah have it right and to be honest mate right uh, if we're going to get real sort of weird and deep i really fell out with mountain biking up until about two years ago really even when i start yeah even when i started the business i didn't ride for the first three years i think didn't touch a bike not once i don't think wow yeah why was that why why was that good question all right so 
I think I got into the bike industry with all intents and purposes of this industry looks so cool from the outside looking in that, you know, everyone just rides the bike together and they do this and they do that. And then it quickly became apparent that it was really stressful and building any business is difficult, I think, um, no matter what it's in, you know, building the business, it's not going to happen overnight. You know, you're not all of a sudden going to be financially free. Mm-hmm. And I found and still do find this industry really difficult. And what I noticed more than ever was when you turn what was then a hobby into a job, it totally changes your relationship with yeah. that hobby, right? Yeah. So all of a sudden I went from loving riding my bike and, oh, I want to tell everyone that I've started this like distribution company with bike parts to, you know, it got to Friday afternoon and I could not think of anything worse than talking about bikes or seeing bikes because yeah. all I'd yeah. done all week was bike shops, talk about bikes. And also I, I became quite sort of depressed and I had really bad troubles with anxiety but that was because I was so stressed out and I had no release for it anymore because my release was, oh, I go for a bike ride. But when when it feels like all of the stress in your life evolves around that thing, I didn't want anything to do with it. I avoided a lot of my friends because all they wanted to do then is talk about work. And that's something that I didn't really expect to happen either because I, I know like the first sort of six months of starting, starting Hook It, I loved it. I wanted to tell people, oh, yeah, we're talking to this brand. We're doing this. You know, we've got these cool, cool things coming. Mm-hmm. And then it became all of my friends just wanted to talk about work because they'd been doing, a lot of them, normal jobs through the week and their release was riding. Yeah, of course. I wanted to get away from it. So, yeah, super strange dynamic, mate, with riding for like three years. Really, really strange where I, I'm sort of not really too, what would you say, sort of, I'm not really too proud of this, but there's a lot of times where I'd sort of often lie to customers and be like, oh, yeah, I went riding at the weekend. So good. And really, I was pretty depressed. And I just sat in the house, mm. worried because I couldn't afford to pay my mortgage. <laughs> that was yeah. like the top bottom of it, dude. So, And then honestly, like the last few years, I, I made a conscious, conscious effort. And I know you've not got the video turned on right now, but I've got this whiteboard behind me where I, I, I wrote down all of these goals a few years ago. And the top one on there was rekindle your love for riding um and i that's what i did i basically bullied myself into it of just going riding most of the time on my own because then it didn't feel as stressful yeah um and i've just sort of refound that love again for riding bikes and honestly right now i've never enjoyed it as much as as i am right now and i think lockdowns really helped because i sort of needed a bit of time to think and just not feel guilty for going riding often mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, really, really strange, mate. Like really strange. And, and I know a lot of people who work in, in, in sports industries or, you know, if you're a really keen runner or whatever it is, and then all of a sudden your job is that, it totally changes that dynamic. And I don't yeah. think you see it coming until you're doing it. And then you realize like, oh man, all I do is think about this and talk about it. And, you know, all I do is when I get home from being on the road for 10 hours, I sit and work about bike stuff. Yeah, you yeah. definitely want to try and get away from it more and more. And and I know some people have got an amazing sort of work-life balance with that, but I really struggled with it for the first few years. Um, yeah. 
so yeah this is very strange mate very very strange and yeah i did struggle to find that release to be honest that, that yeah. ride used to give me uh, i sort of turned to crossfit which yeah i love staying fit i turned to running because running felt like it's kind of i guess a strange analogy but it felt like i was running away from something and i literally was mm. just running away from stuff like i'd yeah, of be course. depressed and anxious and yeah worried and i'd just go for a run and wow. I home until i felt a bit better as simple as that <laughs> yeah wow yeah well thanks for sharing that it's a, it's a great story and what made what made the switch then davy what what actually happened that made you say to yourself right i'm gonna have to do something here and get mm-hmm. back on my bike what what was that time what was that switch that, that made that happen um it's a good question uh, and to be honest i think it was just that realization in myself that this is my job. I, how lucky am I that I get to do what a lot of people's hobbies is every day? All right, I'm not out riding as such, but I work in the industry that people can't get enough of. I serve, mm-hmm. you know, I, I again, I have certain friends and stuff like that that all they do is talk about bike parts and bikes and <laughs> whatever. And yeah. you know, I think I just had that realization that I'm so lucky that I'm, do, you know, I'm not digging holes, I'm not selling insurance or anything like that. Like I, I, I've created this. I think sometimes you, you sort of lose focus of what, what you, hmm, I think you lose focus of like what you wanted and, and you don't even realize that you're there, if that makes sense. Like I set this goal for myself five years ago of building this distribution company and a podcast and stuff. And you don't even realize you're doing it until you really stop and think and you realize how lucky you actually are. And I think I was that caught up in the momentum of building something um that I just totally lost track of it and it took stepping back a little bit and sort of realizing that um but yeah I think it was just that conscious effort as well of going out and almost like forcing myself to have fun Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's really sad as that sounds I'd like sort of there's certain aspects of riding that I really love like my riding style is to sort of go out and just pull up for hours just getting it faster and faster and having more fun with it or jump like you know I'm really into sort of pretty big jumps and stuff like that that's, that's my style of riding mm-hmm. and going out and just doing that I think again with my friends or even on my own just made me really yeah, just fall back in love with it man as well to be honest you know what another thing is as well which I didn't share because it's embarrassing but I genuinely was working in the bike industry we were growing this business uh and and hand on heart I couldn't afford to buy a bike Mm. and I hated I hated myself for it um I don't think I've ever told anyone that but you know it's all right working in the industry and you know you're doing all this stuff but bikes are expensive and when you know I was sort of still relatively young now I guess but you know you're building this company and you're trying to find cash flow for that didn't wasn't really taking much of a wage ended up somehow buying a house i don't know how we did it but we ended up buying a house so if you're trying to find like a spare three to five thousand pounds to buy a bike yeah. it's kind of hard to do no matter if you work in the bike industry or not and you're going to get it a trade or whatever you're still going to spend two and a half three thousand quid on a bike right mm. no matter what so finding that spare money whenever i get close something had happened you know van had break down whatever and i genuinely i couldn't afford to buy a bike so I just made myself hate it. And that's yeah. honestly the top and bottom of it, dude. So, and that is where, I don't know if you've seen, but I do the, these like behind the bike episodes. 
um, where I sort of get a bike off a, off a brand um, and then I use it for 30 days or two months or whatever. And then I do a, an episode all about that bike, how it came, to, you know, how it came to market, talk to people who developed it, who marketed it, pro riders who made it happen. It's like it's a podcast series that I started. And I'm again kind of embarrassed to admit the reason I started that was so I could get a bike to ride. Because if I didn't, I wasn't going to get one. It was as simple as that. Um, I mean, things have changed a little bit now. But I think for most people, man, if it's finding that amount of money spare to buy a bike is really difficult. Um, no matter what you do for a living, <laughs> no matter what lifestyle yeah. you live, uh, it's still a relatively expensive sport to get into. So, yeah, that's, again, that's one of the reasons, man, that I had a really, really strange relationship with riding that... Yeah, I was I was sick of it, but I, I think I was making myself sick of it. A because I couldn't really afford to do it, mm. and B because I was talking about it all the time, and everyone was talking talk, telling me how much fun going riding was, and I was just like, I'm missing out, but I'm missing out because of my own sacrifices, if that makes sense. Yes. To build a company instead, and I, and I I made that decision, and I'll stick by it because you know it's put me in where we are right now, but uh, and I'm very much a an all-in kind of guy you know if you said to me five years ago you've got to sell everything move back in with your parents to start a business that's well that's what I did basically mm-hmm. um so yeah it almost felt as well like if you if you've moved back in with your parents and you don't want to be coming home saying you've bought yourself a three grand mountain bike <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean so exactly. yeah again that's to be honest man like that's that's some of the reasons um it's just that sacrifice of starting a company i had to put everything that i enjoyed on the back burner for a while and a pair of 40 pound running shoes uh, and a kettlebell to do some crossfit workouts was pretty much all i could afford to do so that's what i turned my attention to yeah it's crazy isn't it you know you you start a mountain bike distribution company and people will automatically just think that you're in the industry you're getting loads of freebies people mm. are throwing stuff at you you have your choice of everything it's it's just not like that no not at all and i tell anyone out there who thinks it is that it is utter bullshit that is not what happens at all yeah. um it, it's really really not uh yeah don't get me wrong as a company you own all this stock and whatever whatever brand you do you know whether it's bikes or parts or whatever and, and all this lovely stuff but at the end of the day you you still need to pay for it. You still need to sell it. Mm. You know, there's there's a lot more to it than just sort of giving it the big I am saying, oh, yeah, we're the distributor for this cool brand. If it's not selling, yeah, whether it's handlebars or, or I don't know, or sweets, you're in trouble. <laughs> so, yeah. And we found ourselves in trouble a few times. Uh, so, again, that's some of the reasons, I think, why my love for riding just really sort of um, got diminished, I think, to be honest, too. Mm um yeah super yeah it's strange man when you really reflect back and i, I want to thank you for making me do that too, <laughs> you often forget mate to be honest you know i forget about i don't think i forget about that struggle but um it's definitely been a been a pretty gnarly grind for the last like five five or six years yeah um, and to be honest again without getting too deep on you i i started my first business when i was 22 two i'm 32 33 now so 11 years mm-hmm. um i've run my own company um the first one was a camper van business which i started with my cousin which was the perfect sort of example of how to grow something really big and still be absolutely flat broke yeah yeah <laughs> exactly perfect. exactly 
yeah, to, to, you know, from the outside looking in, they got these brand new sprint Mercedes sprinters that are all converted. And if you want to buy one, the £55,000. But I was living with my parents and legitimately couldn't afford to eat most of the time. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and that's I think. It. I just yeah and I'm not I'm not trying to pull a sub story here but that has has been my life for 10 years man mm. of just trying to grow something maybe maybe I need to just figure out shit business and <laughs> 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 maybe that's the realization uh, no, I don't think that. that I don't think that but uh but yeah you know how it is man like growing a business is not easy no matter how old you are or what you're doing uh and I think it's been a big lesson to be honest yeah. over the last few years in particular well, let me ask you this question. When yeah. you got back onto riding and you, you found your love again for mountain biking, how did it affect your business? How did it affect Hooker? Do you think your business got better? Do you think do you think hmm. it helped you that way? I think it I think it has and it does. Yeah, I think it I think you become way more involved in the scene. Um, you know, I definitely felt a little bit like imposter syndrome at some times that hmm you know you're this representative for this business um but yeah at the weekends you're sort of not really riding bikes and everyone that you know is um so i think being more involved with the scene it helped in a really weird way of being able to like create content yeah uh, for the for the business i mean dude if if you're not out riding and you don't really have ambassadors or anything like that which we really didn't at that time you've sort of got to go and create stuff yourself uh, so i know i was going out and doing stuff like that so that really helped it also helps talk about stuff that you're selling, which again, I'd, uh, you know, again, not really too proud of it. But, you know, I remember uh, one of the brands that we we sort of started distributing uh, was Joystick, Canadian components brand. Mm-hmm. And they released a pedal and everyone was ranting and raving about how good these pedals were. And I never even rode a set. I just thought, oh, yeah, sick, so good. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, best pedals I've ever ridden. Really didn't even have a bike to put them on. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah, I think it helps with testing stuff. It helps with, you know, getting out and uh, riding with customers is a huge, huge part of what I do. Yes. Which I didn't do for years. Uh, and, you know, I'd always see certain other, you know, whether it's sales reps or or owners of companies out on these shop rides, meeting people and talking to their custom, customers, customers. And that's a really big part of what I do. I think it, it breaks down barriers. It um, It's the best way to have a meeting with someone is to go for a bike ride mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of what what the industry is based on is a lot of that it's like oh let's just meet for a ride rather than meet in the shop let's just meet meet on the trails you know on, on a thursday evening or whatever mm-hmm. um so i think it definitely did help with that too yeah for sure yeah i think it has helped mate to be honest with you and, and again it's that realization of oh, this is what i do for a living you know i basically sell 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 tools which help people have fun yeah yeah <laughs> so that's pretty cool yeah, I think to be honest, you know, and you probably can't, this is something that's maybe not that measurable, but your attitude towards it will probably come across a lot nicer to your customers. You'll be yeah, more, yeah. You, you'll be more energetic. You'll be, yeah. you'll be stoked on the product because you've used it yeah. and you yeah, know the right. product. Yeah. Um, and I think people can sense that, man. If you're in love with it, you're in love with riding bikes, you know, that, that, they get that too. They soak up that from you as well. No, I totally agree with you. Totally, totally agree. And I think even the like, like you're saying, like the chat side of it, to go in and and, and you know a certain customer or whatever says, oh, did you did you watch the race at the weekend? Did you watch I don't know Lenzerheide? Mm. 
a lot of times I'd be like, oh, it's on, you know, I've, I've recorded it, I'll get to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whereas now I'm a bit more like, oh, fuck yeah, dude, of course I watched it, of course. <laughs> like, what else would I be doing on a Saturday, Sunday afternoon? Yeah. Um, yeah, when not in lockdown. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I think it definitely helps, just just keeps you more stoked in it. But I mean, I, I'd like, I prefer to be honest with people and just say like, you know, it's not all... It's not no. all happy all the time, right? You know, there's been not. definite low points in this journey. And, um, and yeah, always personally want to be an open book and sort of tell people how it is than just yeah. lie and say, oh, yeah, it's been great for five years. I've been riding bikes and talking to people about bikes and smiling. But, yeah, inside yeah. that's not been the case, unfortunately. So, I'm reading a very good book at the minute. It's called Marketing Revolution. Okay. Um, and obviously from a marketing perspective but talks a lot about brands who's and, that by? uh i don't know it's the first book i've got from him i'll send you i'll send you the details over sure uh, yeah. it's Show very description too right for people listening yeah it's uh <laughs> it's very cool uh I'm, I'm enjoying it a lot i also read another one called primal branding okay by patrick uh hanlon it's a very good book too but these guys are chatting about you know, that how brands are changing and how the whole marketing thing is changing. Yeah. That people don't like to see adverts anymore. They don't they don't believe adverts. You know, they don't believe big companies. They don't believe what they're saying. Mm-hmm. And you you need to be more personal with these with these brands. You know, the brands need to be really connect with with somebody on their level. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's like you were saying you sell products which solve a problem and help people enjoy themselves and have more fun and i think that's the way a lot of these things need to be approached now um this this whole idea of this sales funnel and all all that stuff i think is gone man with social media and everything i think that whole side of things gone so you need to be you need to be going out and rides with people you need to be interacting with them on just a very social level you know, and, and the core level of things. So I think I think you riding and getting back out and doing all that can only, only make things better for you. Yeah, I, I agree, mate, totally. I think that's something that, you know, I'm really into marketing. Um, could say it's my job in some ways. Um, yeah. Although I never really expected it to be, it sort of has turned into my job. And I think I what you just said, I think I kind of realized that a while ago, hence the podcast started, because mm. it's a way of, and it never really sort of meant to be this, but it was a way of marketing the company in a way that isn't marketing, that it's just you're associating our business, my business, with the world's best athletes, which instills trust from the end user that, A, you know what you're talking about, B, it's cool doing a podcast with all the world's best athletes, mm-hmm. And it's just a way of keeping our brand name on people's brains without them really knowing it. Or maybe yes. they do know it. But And there's been many times, mate, right, where – and I never expected this to happen. But in some ways, the podcast has become bigger than the company. Um, and I mean that in the way that, you know, people associate Hook It with a podcast now. The Hook It yes. podcast is, is what it is. People often don't even know that – in fact, I had it the other day, actually. I had a fr- – I'd say a friend – uh, he actually works at Red Bull and he sent me a screenshot of my website saying, is this anything to do with you? And I was like, <laughs> dude, you wouldn't believe how many times that actually happens. Uh, yeah, wow. so 
I didn't expect that to happen, but I'm almost now not surprised it has. I think as well because of how our business model has changed over the years. So we used to be uh, only trade, for example. So it'd just be for trade customers, whereas that's changed a little bit now. So what we almost there was almost like a wall where if you wanted to buy something from Hookit, you had to go to your local bike shop, mm-hmm. which I think that whole that's a, a you know a story for it. <laughs> it's a long mm-hmm. story, man, of how that mm-hmm. demographic sorry how that business model's changed. Um, so we weren't ever really marketing hook it because there was no point because you couldn't buy off us anyway unless you had a bike shop. So we, I almost never really tried to make that connection between hook it distribution and the podcast. There was never really a connection there. It was just like two separate entities. Mm-hmm. Whereas as our business models changed and has the and as the podcast has grown, it has sort of um, it's become a bit more sort of important that we make that connection with people mm-hmm. that you know there is actually a business behind this that you can use if you really want to and i'm not forcing people to it doesn't matter either way but um that was again one of the reasons for starting the podcast was just for that reason i say just for that it wasn't just for that reason a lot of it was selfish reasons too but a lot of it was um just yeah it's marketing without coming across as marketing yeah it's marketing without shoving a product down somebody's throat yeah yeah I mean, there was the first, I don't know, man, uh, however many episodes. I never even mentioned Hook It, ever. Didn't yeah. even, it wasn't even, a th- like, you wouldn't even know that we had a business behind that. Um, whereas I know there's certain podcasts that I listen to that are, you know, um, one would be a, have you heard of On It? They're a supplement company. On uh, It, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, but On It, I mean, that's similar to mine, the On It podcast it was called the on it podcast it sort of changed it around a little bit now but that was almost like one big advert all the way through you know the intro was like go to on it and use this promo code and then Mm -hmm. there'd be a break in the middle of oh you're listening to this which means you must be into using our alpha brain supplement so go to there use this code and blah 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 and then at the end reinstill the message you know don't forget go on it if you've enjoyed this podcast use this podcast use this promo code and i never wanted to do that i wanted it to be just like a let people make their own connections of what this is and where it's come from and how it's mm-hmm. happening you know what i mean like yeah and don't you'll know this is not a free thing to do a podcast it takes a lot of time and it does take a little bit of money too and i wanted people to try and figure that out in a way for themselves to be like ah that's that company there and you know what i'm going to support them next time i need to buy something i'm going to mm-hmm. go over and i'll support it so yeah that's sort of been the way of yeah marketing the company and almost the podcast at the same time in a weird kind of way yeah yeah no it makes sense and you know there's there's been a lot of big brands jump on not not in the not mainly in the mountain bike industry but a lot of big brands now do their own podcast yeah i think it's totally from the wrong perspective you know i think so too i think so i think a lot of brands have seen this as a you know an emerging it is still an emerging market you look at Mm. recently how much money you know, BBC, for example, were putting into podcasts. It's astronomical mm-hmm. how much they're invested in this sort of platform. Uh, I think personally, it was probably a little bit early. You know, we were talking just before we started recording, right, about when I started the podcast and when I got the Facebook page and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, probably a little bit early for it, to be honest. I think it definitely felt for the first few years that, I wouldn't say first few, definitely the first year, it was like, okay, no one's listening to this. I am literally wasting my time. Yeah. <laughs> and there's, yeah. there was like a few little sort of 
milestones along that way which made made me go and probably the same with you you go actually like people are listening to this now and people are starting to like action things that you talk about and certain guests are starting to say yes that before we're just like what you on about a podcast about mountain biking mate like (laughs) what even is a podcast and i've definitely had those conversations too you know where you've recorded and people are like what what is it again are you what are we doing you interviewing (laughs) me what is this you know i had a i've had a few of those Uh, Uh um unfortunately well now fortunately sorry it's grown where people know what a podcast is now like they understand that it's going to be a you know a specific not a specific sort of like a loose conversation and Mm -hmm. that's definitely how i like to do mine but or um and yeah it's become more known hasn't it and i think like you said a lot of brands are seeing it now as a way of just marketing it's like right if we just do a podcast and we've got a hundred thousand instagram followers and we put an ad on the start then you know yeah it's better than paying for facebook ads a lot of the time it's better than paying for seo work and we'll just let the audience do it for us um mm. yeah it's interesting we're in an interesting space at the minute man especially I with how many so new bike podcasts have started i think it's amazing but i just really hope that it's not for the wrong reasons i hope that it's and i hope that they're sustainable too i hope people carry on and i've been on my own platform pretty vocal about that like especially with lockdown people have had time on the hands and don't get me wrong it's great to start a project and whether you Mm -hmm. carry on or not i just think it's really important that if you're going to start it like see it through um yeah same with a business you know you don't make money for the first people say don't they you don't make money for the first first three years and uh, definitely with with this, it's like you don't really see any traction for the first three years. You don't see anything for the first three years, yeah. you know, really, other than an amazing community building and stuff. You know, if you're on about monetizing it, it doesn't happen straight away, that's for sure. No. Um, so, yeah, interesting space, man, at the moment for, for yeah. podcast. I think it's an interesting time. Well, do you know the the average amount of episodes a podcast does is six? Is it really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow, what you know? What was your headspace like after six? Pretty good because I recorded four initially before right. I launched it. Excellent. So that I had that kind of backup, and I always kind of wanted to have four or six weeks kind of in lieu, you know, that I could fall back on. Um, like I'm at 150 now, man. Like That's that, crazy, dude. That just blows How long have you been doing this? Uh, almost three years. Wow, really? Yeah, wow, awesome, man. You're one of the early adopters then, yeah? Yeah, so I think when I initially started into it, I was listening to yours. Mm, thank you. I was listening to single tracks and I was listening to mountain bike radio. Okay. Um, and then I started my own one. Um, and what yeah. made you do that, if you don't mind me asking? I got into it. Awesome people ask me this, so go on. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's a weird one. I never really got into it to make money. That wasn't the the goal. The goal was to get more involved in the mountain bike industry. Yeah. Because I come from I come from a business background, so I'm I'm kinda I know it's boring to a lot of people and they don't want to hear it, but I kinda like business. You know, I like what makes an industry tick. I like the what makes things turn and the different people involved. Mm. So when I knew I wanted to get more involved in the scene here in Ireland and more involved in, in the scene in general, um, I just thought a podcast was maybe the way to go, uh, just to get chatting to people, cool, uh, yeah, to yeah, find yeah. out more. And it's just grown to what it is now. I also knew that 
I was going to be living abroad for a couple of years and I wanted something that I could physically do from my laptop, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I knew the podcast, you, you could obviously do that. Um, and if you'd asked me then if I'd ever done 150 episodes, I'd say no. <laughs> Not yeah. a chance. That's crazy, man. You've been churning them out. Good work. That's, yeah. that's really cool. Really, I try, really cool. I try and do one a week. Really, um, yeah. Wow. And I try... And, you know, when you're working 40-plus hours a week and you're putting maybe, I don't know, it depends on your guest. It can be anything from 10 to 20 hours a week that a podcast yeah. can take you to get out. You know? Yeah, I agree totally, totally. And I think that's a lot of what people don't see. It, this stuff doesn't just, like, happen. There mm. is sometimes, I mean, again, I've been quite honest with people. I don't really do too much editing. But I know if you do have a you know big guest, you want it to sound right. You want, And I've started using YouTube a little bit more which means mm-hmm. that, you know, you have to do a little bit more editing. Um, so especially with like the lockdown series that needed to have a visual element to it. So I've been doing a bit more with that. And mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not out of the way to spend two days putting one of these things together. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it does take up a lot of time. Definitely, man. I mean, like you say, if you're working, you know, I've found, you know, you're working a normal job, you're running a company, I've got, I've got three companies, so I'm running those and, trying to can do this as well it, it becomes too much so that's why i toned it down a little bit it's like right yeah. i just do like one every two weeks for now you know i'm not right ra- there's no race is there like we're not trying to get to a specific number it doesn't really mm-hmm. matter um but yeah i agree man it, it, it there is a lot of work that goes into the back end of it that i think people might not see yeah uh, and probably well, i say might not see they don't see it unless they live with you um you know, if you ask, ask my girlfriend about the podcast i think she's she's definitely not the biggest fan that's for sure <laughs> she's been sick of it <laughs> but, yeah exactly uh, well listen uh, before we started recording you said you you had an interesting story about your first day episode go on tell us <laughs> it was interesting because no one's ever heard it uh so you know when you start a podcast so anyone listening you basically you can't start this whole process of listing on itunes and soundcloud uh for example spotify wasn't really a thing when i first started um it only went we only went on spotify a couple of years ago um so you have to have this audio file which you put up right to start the process so i was at a really really strange time man i'll be honest i mean we talk a little bit about depression and stuff like that. And I was started this company and it was going all right. You know, I was living at home. I didn't have a car because I sold it to buy stock. Um, wow, man. That's yeah, dedication. Yeah. Literally just sat at my parents' house just with nothing, basically just with some, at the time we only had one brand, which was census grips. So I had a, a garage full of grips not really any clue what I was doing just sort of winging it anyway so I thought right this podcast thing's got to happen and again there's a bit of a backstory of how the podcast came about but I thought right need this audio file so I sat and I recorded what would probably be the most depressing (laughs) (laughs) solo episode you've ever heard honestly mate it was a I basically sat there and was like look you know podcasts have changed my life which they had it's because of a podcast that I got out of my old, old company and started started Hook It. Right, podcasts good. have changed my life. You know, I'm I need something to focus on. I'm <laughs> I'm depressed and I fucking use this audio to start it. <laughs> so the the only people that ever really heard it was when episode two went out, which which now is the first episode, right? 
So if you'd gone back and you listened to the first, which which I labelled as pilot, you'd have been like, "What is this dude doing? He's a, <laughs> he needs help." <laughs> like, he, he, yeah, he doesn't need a podcast. He needs a psychiatrist or something. <laughs> he's, he's a therapist. So yeah, that was what the first episode, the pilot episode, was me just like kind of in a bit of a hole, sort of telling people how I needed to start this podcast <laughs> yeah. because I was in a bad place. Um, and then yeah, the first the, the official first episode was with Sai from Kotick. Um and honestly, sure. man, like I couldn't have chosen a better first guest, mate. To be honest, I could not have chosen a better first guest. It had like Kotick have got a really almost cultish following. Yes, they got a really engaged following. So when the first what was then, and I hope I've said that I, I really hope I'm not lying or I've made something up here, but what was then the first mountain bike podcast? It sent to really hit with people that that crowd almost were already into podcasts whether it's through the bbc or whatever so it the first episode did amazing and it's still i think one of the most downloaded episodes of all time wow. wow yeah and it's just because and obviously like it felt like google really picked it up it sort of fell into some weird algorithm on google searches and it just went really well. Uh, Kotick were amazing with doing it. Size of, you know, a good friend of mine anyway, but, you know, he pushed it out on his newsletter, which goes out to tens of thousands of people. And, mm-hmm. and uh, it gave this whole project a massive kick up the arse. I've never listened back to it. I would never listen back to it. I don't know if it was good or not. Um, but yeah, it was weird. Uh, and that's how this whole thing got started. And then I remember the first, the next couple of episodes were a nightmare. I had sound problems with one of them. Yeah. Uh, I think my second or third guest was a guy called Ricky Crompton, who's a free ride mountain biker who was sat in his van with the engine running. So all he could hear was an engine. Running oh no. <laughs> yeah. There's some, yeah, there's some shit show episodes, mate, but yeah, it was, uh, it was just a weird. And then I, ha- I guess the funny part of that was that certain people started to hear that first pilot episode and were like, Hey, are you okay? <laughs> you, need to, you need to delete that off this platform. I think pretty quickly. <laughs> so that's yeah i removed it and now episode one is the one with siphon kotick so i cool man cool yeah isn't it crazy how we fall into things like yeah it is it is and this whole thing man has been a, an absolute wild journey and and i i hope people do enjoy listening to it because i'm having an absolute blast doing it and some of the people i've met dude uh, i've got like real friendships out of this whole podcast thing and people that i never thought i'd be friends with them and i, and I know yeah. you know people are just people and whether it's you know danny mac or whoever they're just people at the end of the day and and that's been a massive learning curve for me you know you come into these things and especially early episodes you know you're super nervous and i got all these notes and stuff to write you know written down and things i want to talk to people about and this whole journey has been in some ways quite selfish because it's really it's helped me it's helped my mental health quite a lot um Mm -hmm. being able to get over that hump and have a conversation with somebody like you know, Danny is a good example, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, Danny Mack or, or Ryan Nyquist and people like that, like these iconic characters that now I can hand on heart call them friends. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's through having these conversations with people. And it's, you know, it's about, in some ways as well, It's and this is something I do talk to people about quite a lot, actually. It's like you have a very weird, you have a very weird relationship with the guests, but also your listeners too. It's a very, very strange and really nice um relationship because obviously the the guests know quite a lot about you just because of listening to hours upon hours of you talking mm-hmm. uh, whether it's a you know exchanging anecdotes like we have done today about 
depression and starting things mm-hmm. and you know projects gone wrong or whatever but then as a as a host you have a really interesting relationship with your guest because you've sort of given them a platform to be really open for the first time a lot of the time and that's something that I think I've really enjoyed about this journey is because it was quite new it was the first time that a lot of people will have heard you know the actual story behind certain athletes yeah um one that for me really sticks out would be like Martin Soderstrom you know he he came on the podcast with this list of things that he wanted to get off his chest wow. you know and it was just super and I honestly like I'm so honored that I've been able to give them that platform and that the platform is now big enough that it's worthwhile doing it for them mm-hmm. you know I think as well uh and I'm not just plugging my own episodes here sorry it's just it's just different no examples. go for it go for it you know, like you know when Brooke McDonald had his accident and he wanted to talk about it you know, he reached out to, to me and it was like really, yeah, it's kind of like thought provoking and quite, you know, I'm very honored and I'm very proud of that, that, you know, he'd reach out and be like, look, I want to talk about this. You've got a platform. I want time to talk about it. And yeah. then we did that episode, which went insane. Like it was, you know, you could say it went viral within mountain biking, mm-hmm. uh, over a million downloads on one episode. I what? mean, it's, it's not, honestly, dude, it's wow. not that that episode just caught fire and it's it went it went everywhere i felt like and you know the pink bike picked it up again and uh, yeah but anyway the numbers don't really matter you know i, I rarely mm-hmm. talk about numbers anyway but anyway i'm sorry for letting that one slip it just sort of came out sorry <laughs> but um it, it yeah it's very you do have this very strange relationship with people that you do have a, almost like a deep friendship in some ways but you don't know each other that well yeah. And a lot of them, you only meet them through here, through Skype. And and then when you do meet them in real real person, it's like, fuck, like we've got this really cool relationship already. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's quite a strange thing. And think again, I think for people listening, you might not necessarily see that side of this where you have like lasting friendships and people, you know, you keep up communication with people. Mm-hmm. Um, certain people slip through the net. Obviously, you never speak to them again. But certain people, you know, you do have a, a good chat like you know if you sat with anyone for three hours and talked shit and and, and opened up and then you got messages back after people saying thank you for talking about that it's a very very strange relationship with someone yeah Uh, but a nice one at the same time you know yeah totally i agree um yeah it's so weird because in any other situation you probably would never get the opportunity to sit and chat to somebody for a couple hours straight with no no real interruptions it just wouldn't happen Honestly, I genuinely, I genuinely love it. I just sit here, you know, phones turned off and just sit and chat to people. Yeah. It's nice. You know, don't really put much other thought into it other than hitting record, to be honest with you. It's just like yeah. whatever, whatever happens, happens, really. Yeah. Um, it's so cool. And I think the podcast thing and what attracted me to it was you could be yourself on it. Yeah. You're not, it's not being done by somebody that employs you or, you yeah. Know, you can talk about anything. You can mention any brand. You can talk about your, there's no limitations. Totally, totally, man. Yeah, totally. You know. And I think that's something that over time you learn too, to, you can be a bit more of your own person. Mm. Um, I think for me, I've just gone through this huge like thing with, you know, doing the lockdown companion with Ollie. Um, that was me being me properly, you know, just sitting and basically just having a laugh. <laughs> just yeah. not really having any plan like that is me and i think 
the early days of this it was a bit more like oh i need to be a good host and i need to speak properly and i need to not swear and it's like no that's not me like me is just hitting record and having no plan that is me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and then just letting letting things just play out uh, and i think you'd settle into it don't you i don't know if you found that but you definitely settle into things um over time a bit mm-hmm. easier you know you start finding your own groove with it like oh this is actually how i perform best now i've tried yeah, everything for sure. this is how i perform best um and i know other hosts who do it totally opposite you know they make loads of notes and they have a big i mean my friend jace has got this huge whiteboard in front of him with notes all over it and stuff like that but it's just it's just unfortunately it's just not me either yeah <laughs> so, yeah well i think it depends what makes you comfortable and makes you be like you say yourself because at the end of the day, that's what people want to hear. There's no point in being a fraud or being when you meet somebody in person then and you're completely different. Like sure Yeah. You know, there's no point more about being in the industry and and seeing visiting shops and not being too stoked on what you're doing. People see straight through that stuff. Aye. You know, if someone comes to see you and visit you and you're and they're a fraud, there's a pretty good radar for that, isn't there? You can go, look, this guy's not legit. Like this guy's just is acting. Yeah. Um, and I think for a few years I was definitely guilty of that unfortunately of putting on a brave face and I think that that not a brave face but like a fake front of like oh yeah I love mountain biking blah blah but inside I was dying dude mm. you know and you just almost click into this gear of like right I've put my backpack on I'm walking into this bike shop or I'm sitting down to do this podcast sometimes and you're like right oh yeah so happy yeah and then you finish it or you walk out of the shop and you're just like fuck i'm an idiot i hate myself (laughs) (laughs) yeah totally man i can understand that you know um it's hard to show up all the time and be yourself because you do everything isn't rosy like you were saying all the time you have down times you know for sure but the podcast i think is really good at helping with that in a strange way Mm. Mm. yeah it is definitely it's definitely helped definitely helped me and and again like no matter who that guest is it's i've, I've come out quite you know from a selfish perspective sometimes with this podcast you know i want to talk to people about mental health and about diet and fitness because that's what i'm interested in that's what i want to learn about um and certain guests have definitely helped me do that you know have these conversations so i think again that's often comes across in the episodes if you're genuinely interested in something and somebody Mm-hmm. that really makes a big difference um so yeah i think that that's a big part of it too you know you, I, d- I think i was pretty guilty too i've said that a lot like i was guilty but pretty guilty especially in the early days of the podcast of just trying to get like the biggest and best names it's like oh, mm. i want that guy on and you don't really know why you want him on you just like oh, he's got fucking five hundred thousand instagram followers it'll help the platform grow and there is an element of that but there's an also really, really nice element of it where you get somebody on, especially when you've built a bit of a platform and people trust you to deliver decent content, where I love I love the fact that sometimes a podcast will show up in someone's stream and they don't know who it is. I love that. Mm-hmm. I really want more of that. Like, I, I, And I love it when that happens to me. Like, Joe Rogan's a great example, right? Most Joe Rogan episodes, you have no idea who that guest is. Unless, yeah. you know, there'll be a few where you're like, oh, wow, Tony Orr, that's cool. Most of the time you see someone's name and you don't have a clue who it is, but you know that he's going to deliver some knowledge and it's going to be interesting. So you listen anyway. Mm-hmm. And that's I want to do more of that. But there's there's a there is a fine line, isn't there? Because the big names help you grow it 
Yeah. But oftentimes the most important conversations are the ones that have don't have social media. I mean, I did an episode a while ago with a guy who's a mindfulness teacher. He's actually mm-hmm. my he was my meditation coach for a while, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the best episodes, man. Mainly because it was just super organic. We just sat in a room together and we just chatted. And most people will see his name, Mike Pupias, come up on the podcast stream and be like, he's not an EWS rider. He's not a top 10 downhill rider. Yeah. But I hope he's pretty interesting, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I really enjoy that side of it too. And I, I think as this thing's grown, I want to do way more of that, um, of just doing sort of random episodes and sort of, personally not really like divert from mountain biking but i want to go a bit more sort of broad action sports and health and fitness yeah yeah uh, so yeah, yeah i can understand I a lot that. of people doing the mountain bike thing now isn't there so this you know there's going to get a point where it's like not everyone's done everyone's podcast but yeah so i want to think outside the box a little bit mm. um yeah well you see i always start at I always started MTB Tribe as a mainly as a lifestyle podcast mm. based around the mountain bike industry. Because to be honest, yes, I do follow the WS and the UCI and stuff, but I'm not a massive racing fan. You know, right. I don't I yeah. don't race that much myself. I'm not really that switched into the racing thing. And I always yes, it would be nice to get some of the, you know, to get Arn Gwen or somebody on or some or Sam Hill or some of the big names on. Yeah, it would really help the podcast, but and I do hope to get those guys on at some stage, but I haven't really reached out to them to be honest mm. because mm. it's it's more of a lifestyle thing. I like to keep, you know, I've had people on from everywhere, from Guatemala to New Zealand to the states mm. to Alaska. I've had people on the podcast from everywhere, Africa, everywhere. Amazing, and yeah. That's really cool, you know, and it can make quite a big difference to those guys as well and what they're doing. And Dude, I find 100%, that, yeah, 100%. You know, especially as you see the, as you see it grow, um, that like you said, that can really help if someone's doing something like for charity or something and you do an episode, it, how, how rewarding is it when you get a mm-hmm. message a few days later, like people are actually donating to my charity through your podcast. Like it's so nice. It's so rewarding that you can build a platform that is engaged, that, people will do stuff like that yeah and that's something that this sounds really cliche but i've always been really mindful about how i use the platform you know i don't want it to be salesy i don't want Mm. it to come across like that ever i want it to actually help people and there's been certain things that we've done over the years like doing you know donated load of bikes to charity for example or ran a marathon to raise money for um lifeboat institute Mm -hmm. stuff like that like use the platform for something good than monetizing you know yeah yeah i haven't Um, even tried to monetize mine to be honest yeah yeah you'd be surprised though man i mean it's that whole world is relatively new to me as well to be honest Mm. um but you know looking at how podcasting is growing and how useful this platform is to brands you'd be very very surprised Mm -hmm. um you know you've got an audience which are into mountain biking or whatever action sports whatever it could be and you're straight in their ears like you're literally there's no there's no like you don't have to do anything you just literally press a button and there's a message going into someone's ears yeah that's a very powerful platform yeah exactly (laughs) Uh, and it's and if you have the right ad or something it, it it i think there's different ways of looking at it yeah all right it's helping you pay your bills but there's the other side of it where it's helping them 
get a discount or turn them on to a new product which is going to make a difference to them yeah exactly I've been really mindful again, like about what what I've had all sorts, dude, from mattress companies to the, everything. I've, I've been approached by it about sponsorship, but I've always been very true to myself that now I want it to be sort of very uh, useful to the listener. It's got to fit my demographic. Exactly. It's got to be. It's got to be like people go, oh, that's cool, actually. Yeah, and you know, uh, my longest sponsor, Saxon underwear. I mean. Mm. The amount of people that wear sacks now and that are comfier that's a nice feeling people are comfier and they're happier because we brought that advert to them and spoke about it so much so yeah yeah there's different ways of looking at it uh but ultimately as the platform grows you know it is becoming more and more useful to brands um and not yeah not in a salesy way just in a it's useful for them to tell the story mm-hmm. um so yeah it's something to consider dude i think at some point definitely yeah, like I have been approached by some companies which I just don't think are a fit for the podcast, yeah. as you say, yeah. and they won't no, help no, the yeah, audience. You know straight away, right? You know, yeah. if it's some window company or insurance or something, you don't want to be that guy that's like, oh, you can get 5% off your next insurance policy. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to hear that at the start of a podcast? Yeah, no, <laughs> you want to hear no. like, well, if you're into bikes, you can get this for cheaper. That's what you want to hear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, exactly so what have you planned for the future david have you anything you can share with us or or how's your distribution thing going and how are you planning to expand yeah, on that um, god there's always things going on here dude i mean i've got quite a lot going on personally as well so uh the way the distribution stuff works has changed quite rapidly over the last sort of year i said before about you know starting to do more direct sales mm-hmm. we've also actually calling as a distribution company now is probably not very fitting we don't actually distribute any other brands um we all the brands that we sell we own so that's come after a lot of learning to be honest a lot of getting burnt by other brands you know you help yeah. build them up and then next you know they they want to go with someone else and yeah that's been a massive learning curve mate both financially and emotionally so all of the stuff that we do now we actually own and make in-house wow okay so cool. Yeah, so everything that we do, other than brake pads, you know, we've got a really, really big brake pad business um, under one of our name brand names called Thirty Five Bikes, where we we do basically cheap brake pads that are good quality. Um, mm-hmm. So everything else is um, is ours. So yeah, so so for that side of things, so Hook It has changed quite significantly now with being more of a a brand, I think. Yes. Um, so we don't like I say getting burnt a few times by you know getting really heavily financially involved with different brands and then they move distributor and they financially just crush you mm. we've learned the hard way that the best thing to do is to sort of own everything that we do we want to own it we want to make it in-house if possible so we do frame protection which uh, long story very short basically my two business partners at hook it there's three of us which own that company they bought the company that was manufacturing all of our frame protection and mud guards. Wow. I didn't, I didn't end up buying it. Uh, basically because at the time we were also sales agents. Uh, the hook it was a sales agent for Saks underwear mm-hmm. and also red respect. So, uh, sunglasses. So the deal we did without going into the intricacies of it too much, they bought this company and then I took the sales agency work out and I run that yes. on my own separately now. So, that's what i meant before when i've got like three companies that that's sort of how it works so hook it's one aspect 
so at the moment I'm working pretty hard on on sacks which I run uh, I do uh, marketing for Europe um, and uh, and the sales like northern sales for sacks mm-hmm. and then red respect uh, I act as the brand manager for the UK um, and also handle all of the sales for that as well um, so that's sort of from a business perspective that's what I've got going on I've got those two companies to run um, which all come with their own individual challenges and whatever yeah, hurdles man. but and then for the podcast, I've got quite a lot of plans, to be honest with you. That. Um, the main thing that I'm working on at the moment is getting a studio, which is a lot easier. Sorry, it's a lot harder than it sounds. Um, you might think, oh, I'll just go and get a studio then, you idiot. But uh, <laughs> it comes with a hefty price tag of having it built yeah. um, and also the equipment to go in it and then also trying to make sure that you have guests to fill it so uh, for me that is the next step um i might be running a little bit before i can walk with this but i already found a studio around the corner from my house so uh, previously if we've ever done episodes in person uh, i sort of share a studio with a friend of mine joe bowman of steel city media so i share a sort of space with him which is just basically two chairs uh, and we just sit and chat if I have a guest and they, it's in Sheffield. It's about 40 minute drive from my house where I mm-hmm. live right now. So I re- what I really want to achieve, uh, sort of my, my sort of short slash medium term goal is to have a studio, which is in walking distance of my house. That is just cool. I want it to be a hangout. Like I want guests to come and, you know, we go for a ride, we go to a cafe for some coffees. And then we go back to the studio and it's a nice environment to just sit and have a conversation. Yeah. Um, a few people in podcasting that I look up to that are, that are doing that and they're doing it really successfully. But with that comes the price tag of having to pay for that every month is having the sponsorship to hopefully help pay for it. Uh, and a podcast people listening doesn't really bring in money unless you have sponsors. Yeah. Um, you know, not doing enough on YouTube to monetize that, not by a long, long, long shot. Um, so that's my medium short term goal for the podcast is to sort of get a studio and have more guests come and hang out and create more of like a visual element to it as well mm, mm-hmm. and I think that's the next step for me and then I've got a new series coming out with Ollie um, with Ollie Wilkins called Where's Ollie so we're working on that at the moment um, that should be super fun you know Ollie and I have a pretty good dynamic when it comes to doing podcasts and just sitting and messing around um, so that's going to basically document the life of a professional mountain biker you know all of his travels and we're going to catch up with him every month wherever he is in the world whether he's in surrey or france or wherever we're going to catch up chat about what he's been doing for that month um and then i think that's about it dude to be honest i think Mm. yeah that's fun for the podcast is just keep going like not put any more pressure on it i like to let it organically do its thing um i don't I don't know if you do. I don't really like run any ads or anything like that to promote no. it. I just do its thing uh, and hope that the following continues to build as it has done just organically by word of mouth. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it seems to be working so far. So just keep doing that, to be honest. Yeah, cool, man. Uh, and, yeah, just continue trying to find a nice work-life balance, which I think is becoming more and more important to me personally, is not to be caught up too hard in the work side of things and, create some more space around me to enjoy life <laughs> yeah yeah oh, you need to you need to 
Texans once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very cool. Um, well, it's been great chatting to you, mate, and I, I know the time's getting on here. Um, mate, I'm putting off this lawn. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, yeah, I know. Um, but, you know, the sooner you get it started, the sooner you get well, finished. There is that. There is that. <laughs> yeah, you can have that. Yeah, but here, man, thanks so much for coming on. I really do appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you. Absolute pleasure. Anytime to, yeah. you know, anytime just to be able to sit and chat to fellow podcasters because cool. Like, yeah, cool, you. man. And we can maybe do something in the future. Uh, we'll let the industry go yeah. for a while, see what happens, see how many people fall out of it after this COVID thing. And we can maybe get back together and maybe have an industry chat at some stage hey, through yeah. next year or something definitely and if you're ever around these this parts dude just stop by or hopefully get the studio up and running soon just come hang out yeah that'd be cool then no problem i'll put you up just come yeah and chill it's one of the plans i have for the podcast and i want to do it is i want to do more and this is i'm kind of i really don't know what way to go with this i'm very scared of making the podcast too irish based okay. if you know what i mean yeah. um because then obviously you have a very very limited of listeners if it's just sheerly ireland all the time mm. but i do want to get around some of the parks here i want to get to some of the events and and interview people after races interview people on the podium do all that kind of thing and then maybe do something similar in your neck of the woods go and visit you and do one with you go and visit maybe whoever you know yeah. bike park wales go and visit black mountain bike park whatever and do a show there Dude, on the road, kind of like a travel show, you know, that kind camper of way. Van. Perfect. Yeah, camper van type style. Camp, sound, sorry, inside a camper and just yeah. roll around, dude, just meet people. That's it. That's dude, what I'm kind of doing. It'd be an amazing thing to do. To be honest, yeah. that's what that was my initial, I wouldn't say idea, but it's like, well, I'm on the road with work anyway. I just stopped by everyone, like anyone's house, really, mm. you know. Uh, yeah. That was the initial one of the initial ideas, but I just never really got around to doing that. No. Uh, but yeah, you should do that, dude. Get a camper van, man. Get it oh, all, that's that's my plan. TV tribe up and get on it. <laughs> that's <laughs> the, the plan. Max that's the plan. <laughs> yeah, so it would be nice. Um, it would be super nice to be able to do that. So yeah, that's the plan, man. We'll see what happens. Amazing, amazing. No, but yeah. thank you, man. I really appreciate you taking the time out to talk to me. Um, and thank you to all your listeners for listening. Like it's really appreciated. If you, um, if you need anything from our website, shall I set up a discount code for you for your listeners or something? If you want to, that'd be awesome. Uh, yeah let's just say like 20 percent off everything on the website uh we'll make the code to be tribe t-r-i-b-e yeah Shall we? yeah do it man yeah, why not okay if anyone wants anything just use that drive 20 percent right. off anything on the stuff um, and can they do that at checkout or what way will you say yeah it's at it's checkout you can just input a code so yeah, yeah tribe all in capitals cool um, man i'll stop up after we've done this just if, in case anyone wants anything perfect fine you're a gentleman. Thanks so much, sir. Hey, mate. No problem at all. Uh, yeah, thank you. Enjoy the guard. <laughs> Get lost. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, awesome. Daily. Thanks so much, mate. That was great. No problem, man. Appreciate it. My pleasure. And now, the story of how Davy wet himself while interviewing a guest on his own podcast. Enjoy. Would you mind if I just went for a wee real quick? No, go for it. You sure? Aye, I can edit it. I'm going to wet myself. Go, 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 go. Go in.
Yes, legend. Sorry. No worries, dude. No worries. Mate, that had to happen. <laughs> you heard the story about when I wet myself on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, really? Yeah, I had, when I <laughs> had Claudio Calorian, and uh, I don't know. It's just I guess I was still going through that stage of like being pretty shy and like oh, you just you just honoured that you sat talking to Claudio. That I didn't dare tell him I was going to piss myself. <laughs> <laughs> so I got a cup and I tried to, no. to go. Yeah. And it just went, dude, I just ended, basically, long story very short, I just ended up sat in my own piss for like another hour afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, oh, oh I'm just going to go for it. Hey, might as well. I'll feel better. I'll be able to concentrate. There's nothing worse than having needing to go to the bathroom. Yeah. You can't, you can't concentrate. So anyway. Classic. If you know, mind. Uh, anyway, that's a wrap for episode 151. I hope you enjoyed that, folks, and I hope you got plenty out of that episode. It was great to get Davy on the podcast and have a chat and see what's happening around his area and how he got into the whole podcast thing and how he got interested in the mountain bike scene. So it was really great to have him on the podcast. Now, if you want to know more about Davey, just go to the show notes, mtb-tribe.com, search for Davey's episode 151, and you'll find out more information there. All the links and stuff to Davey's YouTube channel, his podcast, everything else is all there, nice and easy on one page for you to access. Now, you can also visit Davey's website, hktproducts.co.uk, to take advantage of your 20% off offer. It's only on for about 30 days, so make sure and hit that up. And how you do that is just simply when you're at checkout, just enter the promo code TRIBE, that's T-R-I-B-E, all capital, all uppercase. Just enter that in the checkout and that will automatically discount your complete order by 20%. If you want to visit the resources page on mtb-tribe.com, you will also find more information on it there. Now, Davey, thanks so much for coming on the show. I do appreciate you coming on the podcast. It was awesome to get you on and have a chat. And uh, I hope everything goes well for you in 2020 there. I know it's been a tough year for you with the distribution company and stuff, but I hope everything pans out and uh, we get riding bikes and everything gets back to normal over the next couple of months. So good luck, sir, for 2020. Folks, thanks so much for tuning in again this week. And if you want to support the show, the best way is by subscribing, rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Every one of your ratings helps boost us on Apple's algorithms and helps spread the good word about the show to more people. If you're not on Apple, don't worry, you can find and subscribe via Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean and all other good podcast platforms. We also have a website, mtb-tribe.com, where you can find the complete back catalogue, listen and download every show from there. You can also subscribe there and get one quick email per week with an easy link to listen to the show. You can also get involved on social media at MTB Tribe on Instagram and Facebook. And please take screenshots and share the show with friends or anybody you think may appreciate the podcast and it may help them get out on the trails and get the bike out of the shed. So thanks so much for being here, guys. I really do appreciate you tuning into the show again. And uh, I know the weather's not been great recently, but lots of you out in the trails. I was at Garvin not so long ago. Really amazing to see how many people were out there enjoying the weather and enjoying the trails. Really, really awesome. So until next week, have a great day, have a great week, have a better weekend. Hit the trails, and as always, stay empty, be stoked. <laughs>